Welcome to Comic Book Herald's Tree Annotators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald, and I'll be interviewing some of my favorite creators in comics about specific runs, graphic novels, or series, looking for their insights behind the work. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dave Chisholm, the uh, uh, writer and illustrator behind Chasing the Bird, a new graphic novel coming out here in 2020, which I think we are going to see on a lot of best of 2020 lists, uh, including some over on Comic Book Herald, the site. I run chasing the bird is all about the life of Charlie Parker, a jazz musician that uh, has, I think, in in many circles, fallen under the radar. And this sort of takes a, a very interesting look through a variety of perspectives from some musicians, also in you know the jazz sphere around that time, um, and just people in his life as to what uh, Charlie Parker's kind of genius and and demons were all about. So, Dave, thanks so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Uh, off the bat. How did this project come about? Uh, why why this particular focus for a graphic novel? Uh, so basically, uh, my public publisher, the publisher Z Two, um, put out um, a graphic novel that I did. Um, they put it out one in, put out one in two thousand seventeen that I did called Instrumental, mm -hmm. and it's a graphic novel about musicians and jazz musicians, and it has an album of music that I wrote that goes with it. Um, and I have like my doctorate in jazz trumpet. And so, um, they, they put that out back in 2017. And so flat fast forward to, uh, like late summer, early fall of 2019, they were contacted by the Charlie Parker estate hmm. about doing a graphic novel for his centennial, which is this year like actually is um any any day now yep. when and then uh and um when they the, the estate wanted a graphic novel about his time in california to coincide with an album a new release of um previously unofficially released recordings from his time in california and so when z2 uh, got this idea from Charlie Parker the, the ch from the estate. They were like, we know just the guy to contact. And so they reached out to me and asked if I would put together a pitch to present to the estate. And I did. Uh, and I, um, yeah. And he here we are. However yeah. many months later, that was back in, um, I think I presented my pitch to them in, early September or late August of 2019. So, um, yeah, so it's been, I guess about a year since I, since I very first had the idea presented to me by those guys and it, it became this book. That's interesting. So the, so the work itself came together fairly quickly then, you know, if that's a, a one year time frame, right? Yeah. So pitch. Um, how did you, did you, when you pitched it, did you have it kind of in your head around the different, framing device of uh, various kind of accounts of, you know, different yes. individuals meeting him. Yeah, definitely. That was, um, that played it, that played into so many, that, that approach, that approach of telling the story with, uh, through the eyes of, um, several different third party people and never through the eyes of Charlie Parker right. specifically, um, that really, um, allowed me to explore some of the more interesting aspects of Charlie Parker's legacy. Um, to me, Charlie Parker is a, a figure whose, whose legacy is, he came about during a time when 
when there's still some mystery, you know, like if you were to make a graphic novel about like um, someone who's around today, like, I don't know, name a pop culture figure who's around today. And uh, you, it, it, everything is spoken for, like every moment of their life is captured. Right. Um, and whereas like in Charlie Parker's day, there was still an element of like myth building around it and myth making. And, um, and so that was something I noticed. Well, as something I was aware of as like someone who's studied this music and for, for like m my whole life, basically. Um, and definitely diving into his biographies and account, like accounts from people who knew him that um, there's a lot of different contradictory, uh, contradictory uh, stories about who he was and what he was like and what he was interested in. And so um, that really, so then it, that having that scope um, allowed me to kind of like dive into like the legend and the, and the man. And it allowed me to be a little bit more loose with, um, you know, the necess necessity to, to have like historical um, exact exactitude. It allowed me to be a little bit more to create something that was a little bit more playful with his story uh, while still being obviously r respectful to like his legacy and his music. Um, uh, yeah. And it, and it also gave me an opportunity to really make the book as much about or make the book in equal parts, a, a love story to Charlie Parker and his music and also a love story just to the comics medium. So it allowed me to really explore the, inner workings of the comics medium and change, try different storytelling styles, try different visual art styles. Um, and try to, and, and also the, the, the big challenge about making a book about music is depicting music on the page. And it allowed me to, yeah. to have, um, to, to push myself in different directions regarding the depiction of this thing that's impossible to depict in comics form. So, so yeah, it was a, it it was all, it was a no brainer. Like and when the when the estate, the, like one of the first things that they said when um when I got on the phone with them in the in the pitch call, they were like, "Well, first off, we don't want a documentary. Mm. We don't want like a dry, like retelling of the events of this period of his life. We want it to be entertaining. We want it to be relevant. We want it to feel current. Yeah, and all this stuff. And so um, so that played right into my pitch anyway. You know. Um, cause the pitch was, was really built around, uh, this, like I said, this, um, unreliable narrator kind of angle. So, right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I was wondering if the estate would have had issues, um, with the approach because it's like you said, there's a nice balance between who is Charlie Parker, but you get it from all these different accounts where like, we see that he is, you know, a drug addict, right. That plays a role in his interactions with everyone in his life. And obviously that is not like a charming element that, that is going to come up in a biography, but it's an essential element to tell the truth of his story. But you also get all these accounts from like, you know, these jazz grades, Dizzy Gillespie, John Coltrane names. I did know going into this mm -hmm. and them talking about his genius that really sets up like, Oh wow. Like this is a, this is a talent in the eyes of the legends. Right. 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 Really sell it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, even, even finding ways to talk, to speak to his addiction in a way that, like, arc, like, 
our Western American values, we have a really bad relationship with addiction. We don't really, we don't have a healthy way to like talk about addiction Mm -hmm. um, in our culture. And, you know, whether the addiction is like, what's the source of someone's addictive ruminating mind? uh, What, um, and there, and so like the, this kind of gave me like, like I, I said this, um, in other interviews too, like, I knew that there were some things given the topic of Charlie Parker, I knew there were some topics, some like subtopics that I couldn't, that it would be irresponsible for me to not address in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, One of which is, is the topic of addiction and trying to show like the multiple like the the many faces of an addictive kind of obsessed personality. Um, Like, you know, you could look at someone like Charlie Parker and say, that that obsessed part of his mind that made him such a brilliant musician is the same exact part of his mind that caused his self-destruction. And it's just different sides of that obsessed mind, you know, and I'm, and I'm someone who's not to compare myself to Charlie Parker because, you know, obviously like, but, but over the course of this book, like I I had to do this book in such a short amount of time um, not to, yeah, I mean, it, just the the way the timetable worked, I had to like hit the ground running with it, and I was pulling like probably like one all nighter a week, wow. and I was like really obsessed with this, and in a way, like it felt like it felt like appropriate for this book for me to fall into that like obsessed space, um, and I think yeah. I really it it made me push myself uh, to like make a work that I feel like is the best work that I've ever done. So nice, nice. Excellent. No, that, that comes through. Um, when you're doing the research around the various perspectives, there's an interesting blending of, you know, accounts, let's say right off the bat, the first chapter starts from <laughs> the perspective of Dizzy Gillespie. Mm-hmm. And there's these quotes, you know, of him talking about Charlie Parker, how mm-hmm. much of that throughout the book is actual mm-hmm. like quote pulled from biography stuff versus you, you know, needing to interpret and, and fictionalize some of the accounts. Um, Or maybe less less in terms of percentage. How did you how did you balance that creatively in terms of I need to tell this truth, but we don't we obviously don't have literally everything documented. Yeah, like, right, right. Documentary. Yeah, yeah, and um, and also like um, a lot of these figures wouldn't would never be this candid mm. behind like to like an interviewer. Yeah. Right. Um, in particular, about again like about a topic that's like about some of the topics that come up, whether it's the topic of race or the topic of drugs and addiction, mm-hmm. um, or the topic of, you know, uh, like gender politics and stuff like that. Like, um, the, so I, I would say like, there's a good amount, like I did a lot of research for this project, but in, in a lot of ways, in some ways, the narration in many, in a, in all, in all, in a lot of the chapters, I just did a, as much research as I could to like try to find the the cadence of the voice of the person who was talking and to kind of like look for some phrases that were like part of their and ways of viewing the world. Like the second mm-hmm. chapter is that there's a lot of interviews with that figure that are around and um, and the way he talked about art is a really particular kind of very like you know. Uh, 
capital A artist point of view, yeah, you know, sure. um, these like very highfalutin like ideas. And, um, you know, it was, it was, then it was just a matter of kind of like trying to channel those ideas to fit this story. Um, and looking for little connections, like knowing that a figure like uh, Zorthian was friends with Richard Feynman, the Feynman, the f famous physicist, and like would he, what kind of like topics Charlie Parker might be interested in. He had had this real polymath kind of mind as well. Yeah. And then Coltrane. So like these kind of like these subjects kind of make their way across. Like you can see the seed of this subject planted in chapter two show up in the Coltrane chapter. But right. um, when you look at some of these chapters, um, the historical account on a few of them is pretty small. And it was just me kind of like trying to find threads. And like I said before, like I knew there were topics that I couldn't not talk about even if the people themselves didn't really talk about it publicly. And right. so like, um, so like looking for threads, like in the, in like Julie McDonald's account of Charlie Parker, she said he was interested in uh, past lives and re like reincarnation and past lives. And he was kind of this mystical figure in her life. And this isn't really something that comes up a, a whole lot in Charlie Parker biography because probably because it was a topic that he didn't feel comfortable talking about with someone unless he had like this really kind of uh, like, like, like this is someone who was most likely his, like had a, he had a relate, like a romantic relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I saw, I saw that in this account and it was like, it kind of blew my mind um, that he like did, he like tried yoga with her. He like did all this kind of stuff that at the time, like in the late forties and early fifties was like, pretty pretty out there stuff i guess um pretty like cutting edge bohemian counterculture stuff and um and so then like that kind of found its way into the into like the coltrane chapter and stuff like that i mean the research process was like really condensed really like really like boiled in it and it was and it was less about like creating a perfect like historical recreation and more like um, knowing that there were some things that I had to, some things that I knew that I needed to talk about in the book and then trying right. to like reverse engineer it by looking at history for those things. The nice thing is that since this is about such a condensed period of time in Charlie's life, I, um, it allowed me to kind of like uh, really focus my research on this time in his life as well. So like, um, in a couple of the biographies that I read, I just kind of like focused on the California chapter or chapters. And then um, there's another book that's like, that I dog-eared a lot. That's, um, it's this book by, let's see, Robert Reiser, Reisner, Rob Reisner is his name. And it's a book that's just a bunch of like first person anecdotes about Charlie Parker from people in his life. Whether it's people who like Ju like the Julie McDonald content comes from this book, and um, and there's a lot and like seriously like so many pages are dog-eared, and this is like an approach that's like full of hearsay, but it's also the very same approach that I took for this book, where it's like it doesn't matter what really happened; it matters what people say happened. So, mm. so yeah. Anyway, that's um yeah. No, that that's seems that seems appropriate too, because so much of the like the book structure is everything's kind of built around this mysterious, I think it's seven month period where Charlie Parker 
vanishes, right? And there's all mm-hmm. these theories from the time around, like he's going on a walkabout, he's in a, a <laughs> yeah. you know a mental institution, he's who knows, he's just practicing in his backyard because he would obsessively practice or whatever. Yeah, and then it all kind of builds to like, okay, he's come back, right? And he's going to do kind of this this big return gig, right? Um, but there is there's a feel of myth making and storytelling that I think is inherent to the presentation. Where now to hear you say that, I'm like, yeah, that that comes through in the work where there's not one individual truth necessarily. And I, I think you, you put the example right up front of the, the famous parable, you know, of the elephant right. where it's, you, you can't know what the big picture is with, you know, little bits and pieces of the animal mm-hmm. only you have to see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what each of these choruses, which are the, the chapter framing devices, I think. Right. Help do. Um, yeah. And no, it, it works. It, it makes sense. Uh, there's also like, like you said, there's certain things you have to hit to make it current. And it's interesting to hear, you know, the estate definitely wanted to push for that. I think one of those definitely is like the racial elements, right? Like mm. Charlie Parker is a black musician in a time when black musicians are, it's like they're simultaneously in demand in the sense that like talents like Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker, like white club owners want them to play, but obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they're not paying them as much. And there's still all of the, you know, the problems with institutionalized racism that like mm-hmm. I guess have, have improved mildly, but obviously as we're seeing this year in particular, like, they are they're still very much oh yeah there's a soul lot yeah 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 so in terms of making that current and kind of i think it really comes through in the clax chorus um where he's uh the photographer who's a white man kind of wondering he's just kind of like pondering out loud like is charlie's drug addiction kind of a product of the racism he's dealt with and and a coping mechanism um how did you how did you kind of like figure out how to integrate these these topics uh, seamlessly in the work as you went? Like, did you, was there a part of you that was like, I have to touch on this and then I just need to figure out the place to put it in, you know? Um, well, very early on in the book, I had maybe two thirds of the whole thing scripted. And I knew that I, I knew that I was like, definitely had blind spots as like a white guy in America, yeah. like a middle-class white dude in America. Um, and when you, when you grow up and get really like, when you grow up playing jazz music and then get really serious about it, like you're definitely like for me anyway, I've like definitely was, have always been aware that like, this is music that comes from like black America. Right. Yeah. And so you're, so these, these subjects and being sensitive in these subjects is something that's like an like on one hand you're always aware of it and you always want to do better and on the other hand like you're always you always have to kind of check yourself and make sure that you're doing the work Mm -hmm. and make sure that you're that you're yeah just make sure you're doing the work and so very early in the process i had this i had quite a bit of it scripted out and i um i hit up you know some people some like other musicians that i know who range from like friends to just acquaintances who are black people and ask them if they would be sensitivity readers for the for the script yeah um and um and the the input that i got from those conversations was so valuable and so helpful um in in finding the places to put those in to put those topics in the book uh to put like you said integrate this topic like you like to me like i like not to 
trash like other media types, but there have been some movies that have come out in the last few years that deal that ha- that involve jazz music, and the wor- and race is never brought up. Yeah, you know, and I want to say them by name, but um, you know, uh, just because let's talk about the things that are that we like, not the things that we don't like. Sure. And and um and that felt really irresponsible to me, and and so in as I was looking at these. I basically looked at the narrators and I looked at Charlie Parker's story and I was like, I look at the reading, reading accounts and, and it was obvious that the William Claxton chapter would be a good one to speak to. And also to speak to a good, a good vehicle for speaking to race. Um, because it also is kind of speaking to that kind of, um, like, like liberal white, person point of view that like you where you with it where this character really wants to be an ally but doesn't know what that looks like in particular during this during that time where it was such such a um it was an even bigger blind spot for like for like white america and he's this person who's a big time jazz enthusiast and he's this young young guy middle class and i was like well um, he would be curious about this. And so, you know, talk, he would talk to Charlie and I think he would be bold enough to talk to Charlie. And then this is how, this is kind of how it played out in my head. And then I, and then just kind of like having long, long conversations with, um, with these sensitivity readers to see like how this is gonna, how, how this might play out in that time and stuff like that. Um, and then the other, the other element is this element. Well, that so that's like the big. That's like the the most significant part that speaks to this particular topic are those couple pages in the William Claxton chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's that that other part. The other thing that I noticed in Charlie Parker's, like, there are several interviews with him that exist. Not like a ton, but maybe like under ten. Okay. And in every almost everyone he like name drops like several like European classical oh, yeah. composers. Um and I thought that was really fascinating. And at the same time, I could like it was I had to be truthful and have him do that in the book. And at the same time, I had to find a way to make it so that the book wasn't like didn't really in necessarily endorse that as like, yes, this is obviously what you should be studying because this is right. what Charlie said in interviews where he may or may not have been like messing with the people interviewing him too. Like he was this kind of like, um, and so the, uh, that was where I kind of, again, like in talking to some, talking to the, to my, um, the people who were, who did sensitivity reading for me, like thinking about like, it was just a given that he would know like music from black America that he would be really familiar with it in particular because his musical memory was so great and his knowledge was so deep that like that he would always talk about these European musicians and it was not necessarily it was more like that was a novel thing for him at the time you know Mm -hmm. um because not because the the music that he grew up with was was old or anything like that but just um and so, yeah, like that came up in the Coltrane chapter as well. Um, but yeah, it was, it's tricky, man. It's, um, it's a, it's a difficult subject. Um, 
and you know in in the relationship of of race and jazz music is also its own kind of like um complicated or like complex a, com a complex history because it's a complex and unique history because of the nature of like the jazz music is basically like music that's from the people like folk music it's like a it's like a it's like a music that's from the people but it happens to blossom right around the time recording technology blossoms so in essence it's the first folk music that we get in human history where the primary source becomes the the device for spreading it all over the world as opposed to like a secondary source like someone going and transcribing it to notation and then that that piece of paper gets spread all over the world um this is like the primary source so like you could hear Louis Armstrong play on your record player or your or your wax cylinder or whatever back in like the 20s and you could be like a guitar player in France and and that music would speak to you in a, in a deep way regardless of where your of what your background is yeah and in a lot of ways um this is like one of many miracles about um jazz music and like black american music is that um these are the this in in essence these are like the least these were like the least free people in america right and and the music is like the essence of like the american dream um which ne which maybe never has really truly existed right yeah. um but the music is like the this like boiled down essence of the american dream and instead of creating this music and slamming the door and saying like this is our music they created the music opened the door made the umbrella as big as possible and it's ever growing and it's an umbrella that anyone can get in can get under the umbrella and say like we are under the umbrella of of black american music and we can create whatever we want and it and the the um, incredible thing about it is that like of course like personifying like this musical style but like the this particular style of music like has the confidence to let anyone put their twist on it knowing that the core is still going to be there hmm. and it's it's a, it's it's just it's like it's a it's a total miracle to me so um hopefully i can could spread some of that with this book you know yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, it got me to listen to Charlie Parker for the first that's, time in my life, right? That's, that's good, man. That's that's one of my two goals for this book or three yeah. goals for this book. So that's one of them for sure. Very cool. How how obviously you're well versed in, in the history of jazz and you you were performing yourself and, and have you know a really cool like graphic novel slash album experiment, which I love, just that idea of like combining these two mediums and in, into something where the creative burst of those two things comes together. Um, how well versed were you with Charlie Parker prior to uh, having this assignment um, in like also just kind of his legend in the way that you're, you know, mythologizing it here. Oh, uh, I, I was, I would say very well versed in it. Yeah. Like I was very well versed in it. Like, um, you know, when, when, uh, when you get a, when you, if for my, for my doctorate, um, the last test that you take is this 14 hour test, right? Okay. 14 hour test. And if you don't pass it, you don't get a degree. Right. So it's like the highest stressful. stakes test. <laughs> yeah. So stressful. And part of the test is an essay part of the test. And you have to write an essay with no sources, right? You don't get an encyclopedia. You don't get anything. You just have to write, be able to, they'll give you a topic and say, okay, write an essay about this topic. Yeah. And the topic that I got was what's the talk about three times in music history where the an individual affected 
the greater like fabric of music, right? Where like yeah. the individual did. And so I talked about three times where the individual became like a brand to subsequent like generations. Yeah. Um, and it was like this Renaissance composer named Joskan, Joskin. Uh, and after he died, his name became like kind of like like this like this brand for the next generation. Like that's what we want. That's the ideal, right? And then I talked about Beethoven, and then I talked about Charlie Parker were the three figures that I talked about in that essay about how like they're and and in a in a lot of ways in that essay I talked about in a lot of ways how like they're all three of those people like had innovations that things that things that were ascribed to them as innovations that they invented that actually like when you actually look at history before them other people did but they just didn't do it as well mm. you know so yeah. um revolution that's actually evolution that is given the title of revolution was kind of like the theme for that and so a lot of that was about like the charlie parker part was about like in addition to all the music jargon junk that gets in the was about like how the bird lives was like graffitied everywhere after he died mm. and his and his um you know his, there's still people there will always be people who play jazz music who uh, aspire to play exactly like Char charlie parker played mm. um and it's like this brand kind of thing so anyway yeah so so yeah i would Very say cool. that yes yeah. really i'm re really was really familiar with that yeah no sounds like it that's awesome um and like definitely that there's there's sort of a a love and respect for the talent like i saying and then the beginning of this that really comes through in the work speaking of like you know the way you actually depict this you mentioned right up front too like so there's a there's a biography element right of mm -hmm. this individual but then there's also like at the end of the day he's a jazz musician and there's a lot of scenes where everything's building to a performance everything's building to you know him playing the trumpet right and you depict oh, that the saxophone the saxophone excuse me excuse me yeah that's important that's an important detail saxophone <laughs> all good um, and uh and you depict that different ways throughout the narrative and there's some really cool visual tricks of you kind of doing like the notes and the the scales kind of weaving throughout um when he's playing at that artist mansion it's very mm -hmm. surreal everything mm -hmm. becomes very dreamlike and then at the very end of things you know kind of spoilers here i guess if there's it's, cool. it's that's possible um there, you know, it's it's wordless, right? You're saying like it's not. There's no dialogue. There's no narrative caption. You're not trying to put into words what that would look like. Mm -hmm. um, what was what was your goal? What was important to you in terms of how you visually were able to depict, you know, like amazing jazz music? Yeah. Uh, well, I think like um, like you're at. It was like asking all of your audience to just all of a sudden have synesthesia you know <laughs> to like mm -hmm. get their senses all mixed up um it within the within the bounds of the story the the one of the goals was like how might this person who's narrating the story interpret this music right so i would say like 20 year old william claxton probably couldn't read music and so there's no music notation on his right yeah uh and probably this European Turkish like artist probably could read music, right? This is me just guessing. He's an art school kid. He probably yeah. could read music. And so that one is notated. The other special thing about that one is that the one that plays in that party is um, 
there's a live recording of that. That was actually recorded. And so the oh. music, the notes that you see in that scene are actually the, a, 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 like I would say a very accurate, accurate transcription of exactly what Charlie played at this party where all of that crazy stuff went down. And, um, and for the Dizzy chapter, like, um, I, I mean, obviously Dizzy could read music and was super, super extremely knowledgeable about like the inner workings of this music. But for his, I wanted it to feel a little bit more like improvisatory. Mm. Um, and so I, so I kind of came up with those ideas of those boxes, those squares. And like Dizzy's squares are blue and Charlie's are like this pink kind of mm. color. And for, and then when you see the part where Charlie, you get kind of Charlie's life story very in a very truncated form all of the squares where you get his life story are that same pink color and to kind of very subtly play to this famous quote by charlie parker where he says like you play the life you're you play your own life in your horn mm. and so like every time he plays in those panels those squares that come out it's like supposed to be sort of like symbolically his like life and his experience and stuff like awesome, that yeah so and then and then, okay and then the end there was an agenda at the end um so um modern listeners when we hear charlie parker we maybe don't understand the revolution that you're hearing right, right. because at this point charlie parker's language musical language has become so ubiquitous and so you like He's obviously like the master at it, but like at this point, that's what everyone studies when you go to school for jazz. And when you study jazz, like not at school, but just like by playing it and stuff like that, like that's the source, right? You, you, you studied Charlie Parker. And so now when you go to like a wedding and there's a little jazz band playing and this is a sax player or a trumpet player, the language that comes out of their horn is probably some probably watered down version of Charlie Parker. So then when you, as a modern day 21st century listener, put on a Charlie Parker track and listen, you're like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Whereas like listeners back then, it must've been like getting hit in the face with like a ton of bricks, you know? Mm -hmm. And it must've been a real transcendent experience to hear this music because it was so like levels beyond like anything else at the time. And so the the goal of that last scene, the one that you alluded to that we won't spoil too much, I guess if it's like you said if it's possible, but my goal with that was to try to like put the reader in the headspace of the people back then and I really wanted that sequence to be like overwhelmingly amazing to the point that that like when you finish reading it you're right there with all the people cl clapping, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that you're like, wow, that was really something special. And um, also like that whole sequence, the, all of the the birds in that sequence are, right. if you get the recording that that's based on, you can follow along. Like each double page spread is like four measures of music. So you oh, can like count yeah. along and follow the birds through the notes that Charlie's playing, which is kind of, kind of cool. Um, so yeah, man. And it's, um, and so my goal with that was to try to like help modern listeners put their brain in that place that people back then were at, where their ears weren't accustomed to this, so, so accustomed to this sound. Right. Um, so yeah. Very cool. Very cool. I dig that. Uh, right. The chapter right before that too was one that really stood out to me um, because it's 
it's something you're doing throughout the work, but it, it, this last chapter really caught me where it's kind of like the, um, I don't know what you call him, like a record label exec. He, he yeah. That. Um, he, it, it's all, it's very like noirish, like stylistically, um, like caption, like the style shifts. Um, was that one of your goals with this work too, to actually allow yourself the creative sort of freedom to take on different styles, like per chorus? Like, was that a, a, an artistic challenge that you wanted to embrace? Oh yeah, totally. It was part of it from the, from the get go, from moment one, um, that I knew that that's just, it wasn't just like artistic styles, but total storytelling styles. So like that chapter has much more narration than any other chapter. And that, that guy in real life, before he became, before he got into like music and records, he, he took a stab at like being a pulp crime novelist. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was like, well, if this guy and, and his biography of Charlie Parker is like, very overblown and kind of cr criticized a lot for being like like very salacious and mm. kind of like grimy you know yeah. uh and so i was like well this guy's point of view is gonna be gonna be this is gonna be like a film noir thing and so then i my main like inspiration for that chapter is the amazing book the amazing parker books by darwin cook I, okay, I thought that. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Um, that was like my basically my style guide, except for those couple spots where I like in, in, inject other styles into that chapter. So that chapter has a couple spots that are like the the, the funny like you know Batman page. Yeah, and yeah. then like the one sequence where he's interviewing all the people at the hotel. Mm -hmm. And all those people are telling their version of the events and every one of them is in a different style as well. Yeah. So it's kind of like, hopefully if people didn't get it by then, they'll understand, oh, this is what's happening through the whole book. Yes. Is that right. like, you know, everyone's story is, everyone's version of events is irreversibly, inex like irreversibly like pep, like, color or, or uh, changed by their own biases and point point of view and stuff like that so yeah no it's awesome it's awesome to hear no it's a it's a great book i definitely recommend people check out chasing the bird uh it's it, i would say too like i don't know if there's a worry or a fear that like oh i'm not that into jazz music or i don't know anything about this person like that's that's kind of the point that shouldn't really be an impediment to um to enjoying this i again right. like, i'm a novice i knew the names dizzy gillespie and john coltrane i've listened to a love supreme that sort of thing but like yeah beyond that you know i i definitely don't know a ton it's a genre i need to explore more um but this was but this was eye-opening and, and it made me want to oh thanks, dig man. into the music more um yeah, yeah. no and it made me want to recommend the comic too it, you mentioned you had three goals <laughs> are there any are there any other ones that i, I yeah yeah uh yeah yeah like um one goal is to get comics people to check out Charlie Parker and to Perfect. kind of like really um, do everything I could to, to showcase this like total genius from like black American culture. Um, and then the second goal is to get jazz people to read comics. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so like if any jazz person is like, I don't know, graphic novels, I want them to yeah. read this and be like, well, what else is there? And then, you know, they can get in and dig into the influences on this book. And then um, 
find a whole world of like incredible stories and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the, the third goal, maybe it's just the two goals. Um, I mean, the third goal is just to like tell a, just, I mean, is maybe the big goal is just to tell a good story in a way that's interesting where the, you know, I love form and I love experimenting with form. Like I have a sci-fi book that came out this year as well called Canopus. I don't mm -hmm. know if you got to check that out. Um, but like in every work that I do, including that one in this, obviously in the Charlie Parker book, uh, like the comics form is like kind of my ultimate, um, the, my ultimate muse in this is like, how can I, how can I mess with the form of this book? And I yeah. kind of equate it to like music production where some producers like Steve Albini, their whole angle is like, get out of the way, like push record, do a good, do like the best recording you can of this artist. Mm -hmm. And your job as a producer is to be invisible. And a lot of comic artists have this approach and that's totally fine. I have no problem with that. Um, however, I'm not that person. I'm, my approach is a little bit more like a producer, like uh, maybe like Nigel Godrich, who do, who produces like Radiohead's albums, and right. and, uh, and his he's I would say he's a heavy-handed producer, where like yeah. you can see that like the form and the content are like married together, and so for me, like the formalist aspect of it is so is everything. And so like, I want to tell a good story. Ultimately, I want to tell a story that moves people. I want to tell a story that gets people on like multiple levels. That's clever and emotional and blah, blah, blah. And also for me, it's always like, I just get a kick out of the messing with form. Um, so, and all my favorite, I would say all my favorite comics mess with form in some way. Yeah. No, I'd so. say it's super appealing. I mean, it's increasing. Like the more comics I read, the more appealing it is to see uh, artists try things that I haven't seen before, you know, and yeah. it's like try styles that are, are new and different. And even in the instances where it doesn't work, it's like, Oh, that was interesting. Like, right. That, you know, it changed. Right. Yeah. And I, and I kind of feel that way about music, like Z2, the publisher who's doing this, they have like a ton of music books. That's kind of their, their angle right now for the most part is books mm -hmm. that are related to music. And, um, and I even, I teach a class at, uh, RIT here in Rochester, Rochester Institute of Technology. It's a college. I teach a class here called at that college called music and comics or oh, comics yeah. and music. And, um, you know, hopefully none of my students listen to this because the basic <laughs> underlying theme in the class is that like everything is a failure in terms of like really effectively being able to do this in a way that's clear. Mm. It's it, it never succeeds in a way that will work for every reader just because of the massive divide in the temporality between music and comics, right? You can't, yeah. you can't really connect this divide. However, the, all of the failures, every one of them is interesting mm. and conversation worthy, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's always you, like, you have a favorite uh, example of like music and comics. Uh, I mean, my favorite, this is going to sound really lame, but my favorite work is, is I, I try to make the work that I like the most. So my books yeah. are my favorite ones. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. who else, who else can I trust to make the book that I want to read besides myself? But besides <laughs> that, um, I thought the, uh, the, the, um, Jimi Hendrix book is pretty, pretty good. The Bill Sienkiewicz, yeah. Jimi Hendrix book at least yeah. has beautiful drawings. Um, 
I thought, like, like there's a bunch of ones that are like attractive that like, but like that me as a musician, if I was really wearing my musician hat, I would have yeah. like cri very critical things to say about them, mm. you know, um, like, but if I, but if I can try my, to distance myself from that, like snob, very like unique point of view, um, I, I like, I think I like almost all of them, you know, uh, and you know, I mean, I have like in the class, I have a, a, there's like that Glenn Gould book that came out by Sandrine Ravel. Uh, and then there's like Hip Hop Family Tree, which is so different from that. And then um, we have like Phonogram is on the, yeah. the singles club is, is, is on the syllabus this year. Nice. Uh, which will be interesting to see what the students get out of that. Um, the Fifth Beetle is on there. Okay. Um, yeah. Which is like, uh, some of these books aren't really music books, you know, they're like stories right. where music is in the story, but that's okay. We can still talk about formalism. There's a lot of formal techniques in all of these books that are like really interesting. So, yeah, no, very cool. No, those are good picks too. Um, all right, good deal. So Chasing the Bird's awesome. I recommend it. Is there anything else on the horizon? Uh, you mentioned your sci-fi series from Scout Comics, which I have not had the chance to read yet, but I definitely plan to. Oh man. Um, after reading this. You're going to love it. Coming up? Awesome. What was that? Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Is there other stuff coming up that you want to uh, want to talk about? You know, I I have some irons on the fire, none of which I can talk about. So I am or... I am working uh, every day on new stuff, and as soon as I can talk about it, you know, I'm like the loudest person on Twitter. So I'll, I'll yeah. as, soon, as soon as I can talk about it, I will. Um, but as of right now, um, just know that I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> glad to hear it <laughs> good all right cool dave this was awesome i appreciate you taking the time and uh and we'll you know have uh have some links to chasing the bird here in the show notes for everybody who wants to check it out awesome dave thank you man